0: The pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoilers, special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the latest slice of mind-bending, mind-boggling, melon-baking goodness from Disney, Pixar, and of course, director Pete Doctor. It is Soul. Oh yes, Soul most existential mind-boggling movie since 2001, or Who Be Halloween, I can't quite decide which. Uh, you have already heard in part one of this, the three interviews I did for the spoiler special with director Pete Doctor, his co-director, co-writer, Kemp Powers and producer Dana Murray as well. So this is just going to be four giggling idiots talking about the movie, I'm afraid. Uh, no interviews here, but the four giggling idiots are Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello Helen, how are you?
1: I am okay, thank you. Yes, all the better for talking about a Pixar movie.
0: Yay! It's exciting, isn't it? Uh, We're also joined by Amon Warman. Hello, sir, how
2: are you? I'm good, I'm good. Also better for talking about a Pixar movie. Love me some Pixar. Yeah, imagine if it was Cars 3 though, would you be that up for it? No. No. Would
1: you be? (laughs) There's got to be an exception that proves every rule.
0: Yeah. yeah, there has to be. There really, really has to be. That—that's their one stinker, isn't it? Or is it Cars two? Or is it just Cars taken as a as a sort of long film? That's their one stinker. I mean, I would say
1: the first Cars has some of the their most beautiful animation. Like it's really lovely, the dust mm. in the air and the you know the mm. wild western scenery. It's incredible. Mm. It's just you know then there's some cars talking.
0: Next up, we have the man who wrote the three star review of this movie in empire magazine Mm -hmm. uh soul hater well (laughs) hang on (laughs) hang on a minute no i'm only kidding three stars is a recommendation as we always say in the podcast but i was a bit surprised by this alex godfrey hello welcome to the podcast
3: hi if i do sound echo it's because i'm recording this from uh down a manhole (laughs)
0: Alex is in the great before right now. Um, Let's talk about this movie in general terms, first of all. Alex, I do want to start with you actually, because uh, uh, three stars for a soul is interesting. Very, very interesting. and uh, I'm not going to demand an explanation, because I know a lot of people who are in the same boat as you. uh, and I think this is a really divisive Pixar film. Why did Mm. you settle though on the three star side of the fence? So you're not demanding an explanation, you're just asking for one. I'm asking for one in a very polite British way.
3: Well, because look, I love I love Pixar. I've been obsessed with Pixar over the years. I've wanted to work there. It would still be nice to work there. I think it's unlikely now that I've given Seoul a three-star review. <laughs> but um I just you know, and I went into this with sky high expectations. I love Pete Doctor. Monsters Inc. is one of my favourite films. Hang on, you went into it with
0: expectations that it would be as good as Sky High. And it's not.
2: <laughs>
0: oh my
3: God.
1: Oh, no. Hang
2: on!
3: I love Sky High. I do. I do like. I, I. I own Sky High on DVD. I
2: think it's I a brilliant. D- I film. do too.
1: Yeah. It's really?
2: <laughs> yeah. Really too. Underweight. Oh, come on. I'm on. Uh, no, I, I'm not with you on this one, So <laughs> oh,
1: Fuck. <laughs> No, it's really cute, that film. I mean, I know this is slightly off topic, just slightly. It's a really cute film. We actually watched it one time when you all were over at my house for dinner or something, Chris, if I remember correctly. Maybe you weren't there. But yeah, a bunch of Empire people were over at my house. We ended up watching Sky High because it was the only thing everybody could agree on for some reason and most people hadn't seen, let's be honest. And uh, yeah, it's cute. It has Kurt Russell as a superhero. How do you not love this film?
0: I, I like this film. Hang on. That's not turn this into an attack on Sky High.
3: No, no one's trying to do that. Listen, there's a character in Sky High called War and Peace. What's the problem?
0: <laughs> it's got Bruce Campbell. It's a film that has Bruce Campbell and Kurt Russell. And name me a bad film that has Kurt Russell and Bruce Campbell in it. Okay, yes, Escape from L.A. All right, name me two bad films that have Bruce Campbell and Kurt Russell in them. You can't do it. It's impossible.
3: Um. So... Yes, I yes I had sky high expectations for this film. I love Pete Doctor's Pixar films. I was really looking forward to this. This looked well. It is a beautiful film, and I like this sort of existential territory that Pete Doctor mines. I, I Inside Out. I completely love. I've uh, mm-hmm. been looking forward to it for ages. I was not really interested in Onward. Because onward seemed like more of a kiddie film. I guess onward was the last Pixar film before this one, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And then, just two or three days before I saw Soul, I thought I should see Onward because I haven't seen it, and I watched it, and I loved it. (laughs) It got me. I don't know how it got me, but it got me. It just emotionally affected me in a, in ways that I didn't expect it to. And then a couple of days later, I went to see Soul and it did not emotionally affect me. I think there's a lot of amazing stuff in there. I think there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. But there are three strands going on in this film and they don't congeal for me. And it just did not hit me in those places that I want Pixar films to hit me in. And so...
0: Uh, there's three stars and I'm I'm sorry. That's really interesting. I mean, just, just to lay the groundwork for this uh, as well, I'm sure you know, if you're listening to this, the films that Pete Doctor has directed for Pixar. But just in case you don't, he's directed Monsters, Inc., Up, and Inside Out, which I think on a clear and sunny day are the three best Pixar movies. And mm-hmm. uh, mm. Up For Me is their unalloyed masterpiece. Uh, that film is just incredible. And... All three of those movies have a an ability to open the old waterworks in a way that, you know, a lot of Pixar films do, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the guy who blubbed at the good dinosaur for the love of Christ. But <laughs> there's something about those movies and the way that they marry the high concepts with emotion that just fly and soar above all the others for me. Yeah. And I was hoping for greatness in that regard with this movie. And it is interesting. I loved. I think this film's fantastic and laudable in terms of its ambition and its ideas. The second time I saw it, it got me a little bit more. Mm. But that is a Alex's reaction to it is something I've been hearing from a lot of people. I'm on and Helen, where did you stand on it emotionally?
2: It definitely got me emotionally. Um, there's so much food for thought here. Uh, I didn't sort of see where it was going. It was, it was trying to it started off being one thing and then sort of late on in the movie it flips it and i wasn't ready for that and at first i was like oh and then i was like oh it really sort of you know, it really hit me so emotionally it got me and yeah i think it's very very impressive on a visual level on a technical level the score um which i'm sure we're going to get into is mm-hmm. also fantastic um there are two scores of, yeah yeah two scores john batiste and trent lesnar and atticus ross and i said this before but the fact that Vesna and Ross, and I know that this film was meant to initially come out in uh, summer 2021, but or summer 2020 even, but to have Mank and Saul uh, in one month coming out within weeks of each other and having the scores for those films be so brilliant is just an incredible achievement. Uh, so yeah. they nailed it. <laughs> they, did. they did. So yeah, I, I was really, really impressed by it. There's, you know, a big flaw uh, to me when it comes to how it handles its black representation, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But by and large, I really, really liked it, and by personally, and I would. <laughs> and personally, I'd give it, I'd give it four stars. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, mm.
0: I, I would give it four stars. I say, listen, we gave it onward, which is very, very good, five stars. We gave this yeah. three. I say, take <laughs> one off onward mm-hmm. and give it to Soul. <laughs> Everybody's happy Everybody goes home happy Not me My review's
3: my review's <laughs> been stolen
1: from me I'd take two off onwards Give yep. one to Saul And have one in hand For other situations
0: Well, keep yep. a star back Just in keep case Keep a
1: star back just. Think, think, I'm sure there's one of the Marvel films I could give it to First Iron Man for a start
0: <laughs> Helen are um, you saying you um, know, Catch a yeah. fallen star And put it in your pocket Save it <laughs> for a rainy day Is so that what you're saying?
1: There we go There we go a bit of jazz for you there. <laughs> was it? I think it was. <laughs> um, Everything's jazz
0: if you scat at the end. Catch the <laughs> falling star. Oh, put guess. it in your <laughs> Jazz. There'll be no scatting Thanks. here. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> I would I would refer you I would refer you to the Commitments take on jazz and uh, leave it there. Which is? Uh, it's musical wanking.
0: Come on.
2: Whoa. <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs>
0: That's fucking harsh.
1: Soul <laughs> is real music. Jazz is musical wanking. So there we go. <laughs> Anywho, uh, my take on it was I was all I also went in with sky-high expectations, expecting it to be every bit as good as that film. Great movie. Uh, expecting <laughs> it to be a nailed-on classic. Because Inside Out, I mean, Up is a masterpiece. I would 100% agree. Inside Out, I think, is one of the smartest films I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. I think the fact that it succeeds in being two completely different films, like kids are watching one film about brightly coloured characters going on an adventure. Adults are watching a really, like, psychologically sound dissection of the human mind and emotions. Mm. Completely different films happening on the same screen at the same time in a commercially appealing, you know, friendly, populist way. That is unbelievably difficult. Like, there are art house directors and Oscar winners out there who wish they could. It is... Off the charts smart that film, so I was kind of expecting that, but for existence with this film, and so no, you know, no pressure, uh, Mister <laughs> Doctor. Uh, I thought I thought that would be what I'd get, and um, and I find it again intriguing, really well done. I liked some of the sort of cultural specificity of Joe Gardner's world. I thought that was pretty well drawn. Um and then it takes that swing about what half an hour 40 minutes in and I was a bit like wait what? Yeah. And I find it really jarring, really really jarring and then it kind of swings back towards the end and it kind of works but on the second viewing it smoothed out somewhat for me and I I liked it better but it could not live up to my expectations and I agree with Amon I think there's some certain problematic elements that we should get into a little bit. Yeah. Um but I think I think the bigger problem for me I think those could be, you know, dismissed as, you know, a sort of baked into the concept, you know, uh, problem maybe, you know, I think they went into it with good intentions in terms of their hero. I don't think that his disembodiments could be avoided given the whole concept of the film. But I think it it suffers more from just this sudden shift into away from the sort of inside out thing where there's two films happening at once and more Mm. into there are two films happening back to back that don't fit together yeah, always very well. They don't, but
3: they—they
1: they are so tonally different. And
3: it's funny because the first few minutes—what is it, ten minutes of this film of of of, of Joe yeah. just living his life—are so great, so yep. good. And that's mm-hmm. what I want. And I know this is going to be a dumb thing to say, and this is not what this film was ever going to be. But I would have been really happy to have just <laughs> seen a film about that guy living his life <laughs> and having yep. his, having his problems and all of that. Um once it gets into the soul territory it's like these people are annoying this mm. is detracting from his story and it pushes mm. and pulls like that the whole time let alone yeah. becoming a body swap movie which is yeah. like oh I, we're doing that we're doing
2: that now I don't necessarily think that the all the soul stuff in the soul world is annoying cause i think it's really well uh, done for the most part and beautifully visualized you know just the I think Helen alluded to this earlier, but the fact that Pixar are able to take these really heavy, hard-to-understand concepts and visualise them in a way that everyone understands is incredible. But the unique stuff of the story, what what really works is the Joe stuff. And Mm -hmm. we've seen Mm -hmm. the things that the film turns into with the soul world, with the sort of body comedy, the the body comedy. We've seen that from Pixar before. Mm I would rather it have lent into the unique stuff more mm. and focused yeah. on yeah. that more uh, in the story because that's that, that's what makes that's this film new. special. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: I have a feeling, and I talked about this a little bit with Kemp Powers, um, because I kind of focus on different areas with each of the directors. With, with, with Pete, I kind of focus more on the end of the movie. And uh, with Kemp, I talked a little bit more about the The tension in the movie itself, which is as you guys discussed, it is basically it's not just two movies in one; it's it's like ten movies in one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm. And it flits, it reimagines itself and reinvents itself every ten minutes or so. And I love that. I I love the the ambition of of that at least. And I think the you know it's it's so dizzying in terms of its conceptualization and its ambition. And because but but also there's a tension at the very very heartless movie and Ken, was very good in that. There's a tension between what I think Pete Doctor and Ken Powers wanted to be, which is a lofty treatise on mm-hmm. spirituality mm-hmm. and life and death and the universe and, <laughs> and everything. And meaning. Small meaning of life the small small themes that you normally get packed <laughs> into your kids' animation. Yeah. And I think in one way they've made a completely and utterly uncompromising uncommercial art house movie, Mm -hmm. which is a large part of the reason why this thing has been parked on Disney Plus on Christmas Day, rather than going out into cinemas. uh, Where I think even in a non-Covid affected marketplace, it might have got some pushback from audiences, you know, from families bringing along their kids and then wondering why there are jokes about Copernicus and, you know, existentialism and all this stuff. So you have a tension between that side of this, this art house movie that they've made and also the tension, the the desire to pixarize the movie. Mm-hmm. And so you you know ultimately winds up with well not ultimately, but it, it has at its heart a buddy comedy vibe going on. It's about a mismatched duo going on a quest. Where we yeah. see where have we seen that before? Mm-hmm. Or oh, let mm-hmm. me let me just have a think every other Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. And when it when it goes back to New York in the second half of the movie, it becomes a little more conventional in its goals, in terms of being an animated movie. And I think there's a tension between the two halves that isn't entirely reconciled, but I think also gives this movie, for all its conventionalism, gives it a sort of unpredictable quality to it. I I didn't know where the hell this thing was going. And having spoken to Kemp in particular, you know, this seems to be... Perhaps a byproduct of having too many ideas. He said they had enough ideas for five movies. Mm. Everything was up for grabs. How they how they re, reinvented and reconceptualized the movie almost entirely once he came on board. Eve Joe at one point was going to die at the end. They actually did that. They had they they you know loads of things changed. Loads of things were up for grabs, and so I think there's a slight messiness to it as a result.
1: But a that's their job to make decisions, and b that's the story of every Pixar movie. Yeah, every they, single Pixar movie, and most
0: of them get it right eventually.
1: Yeah, to a large
0: degree, they've got it right in this movie. I, 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 I think look, it, I would,
1: yeah, I would I still give it four beautiful. stars, but there is a yeah. there is a definite sort of screech to a halt and start again at a couple mm-hmm. of different yeah. times in this movie, and I think it's you know it's okay to sort of say that. And I, like I say, when I watched it for a second time, I did find. You know, that the themes ran a little bit more smoothly than it appeared to me at first. And I and I find that okay, there is meat in the human scenes that I maybe hadn't credited it with before. But at the same time, like it's it feels frustrating because there are those moments of just complete batshit craziness that you're just like I'm so here for the the mm. Miyazaki like lost souls and yeah. the the Picasso esque uh, sort of guardians of the afterlife, the Terrys and the and uh, the Terries and Kerrys, no Terries and, Jerry and Jerry. Jerry's, yeah. Um, you know, the the Escalator, I mean, it's it's the first Escalator in a sort of afterlife movie that has not managed to be entirely Powell and Pressburger-esque, yeah. which is impressive, genuinely impressive. There's all these incredibly great, great things in it. And then there's a bit with a cat. And I was just a bit like, oh, for God's sake. So I, I, I loved when they shot for the stars and I just wish they hadn't thrown a body, body comedy in the middle of it. And like I say, there, there was a little bit more theme to those scenes when I watched mm. it again and I gave them a bit more credit, but it does just feel like, you know, the pressures of creating a commercial animated movie took something away from what they could and should have done.
3: Yeah. And by the way, if you want to see a good body swap movie, go and watch Jumanji or even the Jumanji sequel. But this is um, <laughs> because that
1: does it. So, and I think that's,
3: uh, I'm not even joking. theres um, We're talking about this fil- film being a few films in one. So you've got his journey and you've got 22's journey mm. and they don't feel like the same story to me. They feel like they've got different goals, really. I know they sort of come to a joint conclusion in a sense. But it's not the same dynamic or chemistry or partnership that you get with Woody or Buzz or with Nemo or Dory or like countless others, you know, that feel like they're all part of one thing. This feels like two different things just pulling at each other for me. And that's why I think it doesn't affect me.
1: I mean, I think in terms of the the chemistry between the two of them, I think what's good is that Joe is convinced he he's all about purpose in life like so he's not about it's it's the it's the sort of life is what happens when you're making other plans so he's yeah. all about his other plans and how he's going to be a jazz musician and that's what he was put on earth to do and he's he's convinced of that, that that it's all about purpose and it's all about meaning and it's all about um this one thing that he's obsessed with and he's not paying attention to the whole of the rest of his life and equally 22 is looking for she thinks she's looking for a purpose as well, she thinks she's looking, or I, I'm calling her she, but she may be in it. Is looking for a purpose. Is looking for this final ingredient that's somehow going to let her exist as a as a human. Mm. And it, and the, both of them have to learn. It's not about purpose. It's about the journey. It's about just being. It's mm. about existence itself. Yeah. And so th- th- in that sense, they have the same end, the end point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But you're right. It it takes a long time to get there.
0: Is there a problem in that 22, I might venture, is not particularly likable? She's oh, not. Well, like
1: intentionally, it. yeah.
0: But, but yeah, I don't think you warm to her in a way that you. You know, in a buddy comedy movie, that's usually the, the dynamic. There is one, there is you know, it's Riggs and Murtaugh. It's you know, Jack Walsh and the Duke. There's one who is silent and stoic, and there's one who's just a, the the you know, off the wall, bouncing off the walls, chatterbox who's going you know, ten to the dozen, going just all the time. A bit like me on this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. And but gradually, you get to find the layers in them, and you gradually get to, yeah. to warm to them, and so does the the main character. Mm. I'm not sure that bit sold me. I, I, I'm, I'm fully invested in Joe's journey. I was less yeah. invested in Twenty Two. Well, yeah.
1: I, I think I think I, I did warm to her. Certainly towards the end when she kind of gives up on herself, I kind of warmed to her. I think also watching it a second time, I actually got more frustrated with Joe because he was so he was kind obsessive. of a user. Yeah, he was obsessive about getting home and obsessive about yeah. his purpose and his journey and his needs, and really kind of you know dismissive of. Everybody else, uh, for a large, large chunk of the film, like he has his revelation pretty late. So, so both of them are, mm. you know, very flawed, especially by Pixar standards.
3: It's a tough balance with twenty-two because she is irritating. She's supposed to be irritating. That's the whole thing. That's why she's irritating on purpose because she wants to do her own thing. She's irritated all of our other mentors. Um, hmm. But she is not irritating in a way that gets you to warm to her throughout most of the film. Like, you know, Dory is supposed to be irritating for a bit, but not for long. Mm. You know, even Mike Wazowski, you might think, is a bit of an irritating sidekick. But, you know, these people are full of heart and soul. Um, You know, these these sort of sidekick characters or the double acts, you love them. And um, I just don't think there's a lot there with her. She doesn't really illuminate it for me she doesn't help his thing his situation at all really apart from narrative terms later on so i just don't know every time she's on screen my sort of my heart sinks a bit i have
0: to say i guess they try and link her into his journey in that she has she picks up these things along the way the the maple seed pod the the bit of yeah. pizza mm. crust that he completely and utterly dismisses. But for her, they are the, the, the thing that formed the very, very core of her existence, which then allows him to yeah. reflect and take stock and realise that he was wrong and re-enter the zone to try and save her. Narratively, yes. I just mean as a character. and I, I, Emotionally, yeah. I'm with
3: and, you. But now. I think they lack a dynamic. You know, you're talking about great double acts. I don't think they are one. because, And like you say, he is a bit of a user, he doesn't really care about her. He just
2: wants what she can do for him. Until so it, it, it,
1: until, 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 yeah. until the final yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. But yeah, No, I I agree with pretty much all of that. I I did sort of the the the, the bit that sort of flipped me on twenty two was that final act when she's sort of in back in the soul world and so, so she's given up on herself and this all mm. the, the self hate and all that, all that sort of stuff. I yeah. I recognize some of that you know, within myself. Like there are, there are times when, you know, I, I, that does happen. Uh and I'm sure that's relatable to others as well. And that's still the, that that was the beginning of me uh changing my thoughts on twenty two. I think the final act. Like, mm. Chris, am I still here? You're laughing?
0: No, I'm just I have never felt those feelings before. Um, oh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I am a serene ship piloted by Graham Norton. Moving onwards. Oh my god.
2: Of course. That, no why would it, why would I suspect it otherwise no.
0: can, can we, before we get into uh, other stuff because I really want to dig into Joe as well mm-hmm. uh, can we just talk about the Graham Norton thing for a second because whenever I first saw this the movie was playing as part of the London Film Festival and I saw it in an actual cinema in actual mm-hmm. seats mm-hmm. and when I, when I when I watched it moonwind appeared and I I know that voice I know that voice I'm trying to place that voice and then it hit me after about two minutes it's like That's Graham Norton. (laughs) That's actual Graham Norton. Mm. And then I came out and then afterwards in the credits, he's literally, I think, third or maybe even fourth billed. And I thought, okay, so what's happened here is... Sometimes what happens with movies like this, where they have a role that they have region cast, so Andy Peters, Andy Peters, mm-hmm. Jonathan Ross voicing one of the ugly stepsisters in uh, Shrek, uh, Shrek Two, I think mm-hmm. it is, where Jonathan Ross pops up, and you know they go, we have these these roles that we're not gonna we're not gonna revoice Tom Hanks with Ben Shepherd of mm-hmm. Good Morning Britain, <laughs> but we are gonna give him fifth banana. All right. Yeah. So the people in watching it in the UK will have something to latch onto. Oh my god, there's Ben Shepherd.
1: I mean, and that that adds like billions to the box office, doesn't it? Billions. You know, that, that kind of regional casting cuz we all care billions. a lot about <laughs> Ben Shepherd here.
0: You don't know who he is, do you?
1: I do. I do not. Was okay. he on Strictly <laughs> once? I think he might have been on Strictly <laughs> <Who knows>? once. <laughs>
0: who knows? Okay, Bill Bailey. Bill. Oh, Bill Bailey's great. Someone like that. Someone like that who has a bit of you know, you know, a bit of appeal. You'll you'll get it. So I Paul thought. Ben I thought, Shepherd. Poor Ben Shepherd. Oh, well, he's been he's been he's been erased <laughs> from existence. Uh, but, you know, so I thought that's what they had done with Graham Norton. I thought they you know they've cast someone in the States. They've cast well, oh, I don't know, Bruce Dern. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: thinking these
0: things. but they'd cast someone you know wild and wacky in the states and then decided to region cast him over here and then I, I interviewed Pete Dr Kent Powers and Dana Murray for another podcast not the spoiler special one just after that and I said what's the deal with Graham Norton you guys and they went yeah that's Graham Norton he's in the film that's who we thought of <laughs> we're a huge fan of him and I'm a huge fan of you know British comedy overlooked Valley's Irish obviously and you know and we wanted him from the start and we got him and that I have to say, it took me a long time to get over the Graham Nortonishness of that. Yeah, the entire film.
1: I could be that he was literally sitting next to me at the LFF screening where I saw it. What? Now, I say sitting next, obviously in the time of COVID, that's he was sitting two empty seats away, mm-hmm. but literally next to me.
3: Was he mouthing along silently to his dialogue?
1: No, he was. He was. He was focused on the film. He, I, I didn't dare look over, I'll be honest, during his <laughs> scenes because I, I kind of, knowing he was there, I thought maybe he's a voice in the film and then I clocked him immediately and then didn't want to stare. Like- this is
0: like, when fall and i went to see the comeback which is a a play that was on very briefly in the west end uh from the the, the comedy duo the Pin and the conceit is that every every performance they have a different famous guest star that they bring up on the stage uh, you know under the under the illusion that they don't know who it is oops who could be dragged on the stage and uh, just before the the theater, just before the the lights went down i saw danny dyer take a seat in the second row and i thought oh is danny dyer the guest star and he was <laughs> he was Anyway, that's a weird aside. I don't even know why I said it. But yeah, Graham Norton in this movie. Graham Norton is in this movie. Graham, Graham Norton guess. is in this movie.
2: Yeah. Mm. Me too. I like, I, I like the mm. performance. thought it was fun. Okay.
1: <laughs> Alex seems less keen. <laughs> I just didn't. It's, I it just,
3: I, I don't mind. I'm, I like Graham Norton, but it was just so distracting the whole time. You're thinking, it's Graham Norton. Mm. And it, the voice didn't fit the face for me or the character. At Is all. that
1: just because you know Graham Norton's face, Maybe. though? Because I thought it actually worked quite well. He's playing mm-hmm.
0: some sort of mystical shaman type, and he's doing it with... It It absolutely doesn't fit at all. I'm, I'm, I actually now want a Moonwind <laughs> spin-off <laughs> slash prequel because I want to know how an Irish bloke wound up <laughs> as a mystical shaman on the streets of New York spinning signs <laughs> around and mm. who doesn't sound wacky you know it, it's it, perhaps in a good way it's not that conventional i think cliched <laughs> hey man a am moon wind whoa fire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah they save that
1: voice for turtles
0: yeah <laughs> i guess they do
1: i would watch that
2: would watch <laughs> yeah have we just talked ourselves into a graham norton prequel yeah. i think we have oh my god i was i was also going to say i i also watched this in the cinema and as, as i think we all did it it was funny to me in that I was the only one in my screening who laughed very hard at the New York Knicks joke. I'm not sure if anybody else knew <laughs> but as an NBA fan, as a basketball fan, I was like, I know what they're doing there, that's hilarious. Nobody else got it. Very- I understand that reference. So <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> that, on the on the previous interview I did with uh, Dana and Kemp and <laughs> Pete, uh, Kemp asked me how the Knicks joke went down <laughs> with a UK audience, and I went, <laughs> You Should maybe replace him with an Arsenal joke. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> should
0: have got Ben Shepard in for yeah, that. Should have got Ben Shepard to do <laughs> a joke about Arsenal.
1: Oh, so is he a football person? No,
3: he replaces he does Piers Morgan when Piers Morgan's not
1: there, right? On, right, Morning yeah. Britain.
0: <laughs> but you, you'll <laughs> know him. He's blandly good looking. You know, he's I he's... think he
1: was on Strictly. I really do. Was he? Yeah. I don't watch Strictly. Yeah, I, so. I never
0: have, but uh, you know, he hosted Goals on Sunday with Chris Kamara for years. You'll you'll know that, Helen. I never thought this would be uh, such an anti-Ben Shepard
1: As It's not. As I remember on Strictly, his fleckles were great, so, you know, full marks. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Chris, Chris has said
3: you want someone with at least some appeal, not Ben Shepherd. You've just called him <laughs> blandly good-looking.
0: This is coming from me. I'm like, I could be the ugly stepsister in Shrek 2 with minimal makeup. He's a very good-looking man and a very assured television presenter. There's no question about it. That's more like it. He is a West Ham (laughs) fan, though, so he can go fuck himself. Anyway, let's move on to talk about (laughs) some other stuff here. Um, Let's talk about Joe. Let's talk about Joe and the fact that Joe is, of course, uh, Pixar's first black lead, which is-
2: A long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Very much yeah. in
0: the about a damn time mm-hmm. <laughs> book. Um mom, what did you make of of Joe? You said earlier on that you had problems with some some things that that happened
2: yeah. in the movie. Well, it's, it's a bit to do with what we've discussed previously, but I'll I'll start with what I liked and that Helen alluded to it earlier in that it's very it gets the cultural details right. The the barbershop, Joe's ties with the community, all of that stuff. I really really liked um and that was great, but as you say, this is the first Pixar movie with a black character in the lead. It's, it's annoying that they'd sully that a little bit with the fact that not only is the black character turned into an animal again, which is a trend in animation, but you have your first black character in your animated movie be voiced by a white lady for a significant amount of the screen time. And that is a problem. And for me, that's why I, I tweeted sort of after I watched the film the first time, it's a two steps forward, one step back thing for representation. I don't know why you would do that. I mean, I, I, I get that it's sort of baked into the story, but regardless of the story mechanics, there are different ways you can sort of not have your first black character in your animated movie be voiced by someone who's not black for a significant amount of screen time. And that did bother me for, for, a, bit, for a bit of the movie
1: yeah, I think the I think the trope of taking black characters out of their bodies, like, you know, like they don't trust us to watch a black character in animation for an entire film, is not great. and And I know it's like like you say, I'm on. it's baked into this story. You know, nobody's in their own body for the entire story, practically. You know, yeah. certainly our two lead characters are not in their own body. Graham Norton is not in his own body. <laughs> you know, everybody's body swapping. I do get that. But Joe spends more time either blue or furry mm-hmm. than he does in his own skin. Like and Beast. Like Beast, <laughs> yes. And and again, that's just not, you know, it's not ideal, I feel like. And I can see why you would take skin colour off in the great beyond or the great before, because that doesn't define people, and it shouldn't define people, and it shouldn't be the only thing that we see about people, and I get that. Our souls have no colour. That's a solid concept here for it. But again, it you know, it it if this is your... First and only black lead in twenty years of Pixar. More than mm-hmm. that—that is troubling. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of work to be done. I mean, I enjoyed the line, you know, Tina Fey's line, you know, why do you sound like a middle aged white lady? Because it annoys people. That was funny. For the record, she did seem to be headed to Asia when she was being born, at the end. So she's presumably not literally. A middle-aged white lady, so no, that's she, something.
2: I think there's a line where she says, like, you know, she she can sound she can sound however she wants, but she only chooses to yes, sound like yeah. that. Like, and
1: she chose a middle-aged yeah. white lady because people yeah. find it annoying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But she's headed to be born in Asia somewhere uh, at the end. If you look at the if you look at the globe as she's headed down there, I think she's not going to be white. So that's some kind of minor comfort, mm. or maybe not. Maybe it makes it worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's certainly an interesting point. I mean, I I, I I hadn't heard you talk about that idea that, you know, 22's voice is out of, is coming out of Joe's body. Mm. We hadn't talked about that before. But mm. we had certainly talked about the the trope of people of color being reimagined or find themselves in, in an animal's body before. And obviously I, I, I if, if as people will know if they've listened to the Spoiler Special interviews, I asked both Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers about that and they both gave me the same answer, which was that essentially it's Feels like a trope because there's only been really three or four animated movies that have had people of color as the lead, and that the real work has to start now on making sure that there are many, many more animated movies with people of color in the lead so that it no longer feels so that it won't happen in all those movies, um, and that it's an animation staple and it, it does happen in lots of animated movies. Um, what do you think about that response? <sighs>
1: if it's a staple of animated movies the one black disney princess so far was tiana yeah. and she was turned into an animal which didn't happen to yeah any of the white girls as far as i can think you know so it's not it's not that much of a trope and that's all i'm saying it's it that only goes so far there are choices that can be made there are ways to take it in another direction in the fairy tale of the princess and the frog she isn't turned into a frog hmm.
2: but this is this is it cuz i i i agree with what they're saying in a broad sense but as they mentioned we are far from there being in a position where there's so many animated movies with people of colour in the lead that this isn't an issue and I think part of their responsibility in being one of the first to be in the situation is to make sure that those decisions are being made in without in, in, in a better way than what this movie does like for instance like you know, Black Panther is the first, you know, black-led sort of major superhero movie. If they had, you no, know, I'm not saying that it's like, you know, a like-for-like in terms of having Tatar be transmuted into a, a black cat or whatever, but if they made s- certain decisions where that character wasn't as in the forefront as he should have been or something to that effect, then that would have a negative effect on the movie because it's the first one of its kind. If you're the first one of your kind, you are, the pioneer. You need to set the mm. example to an extent so that we can mm-hmm. start to get to a stage where there are more animated movies with people that kind of are in the lead. We're far from there yet. Mm. And this movie had a responsibility, I think, to, you know, do that screenplay better in that regard. From a
0: storytelling point of view, where, where do you think it should have gone? Do you have Joe go back into his body? Is, did, should they have gone in a completely different direction from the body swap thing? Do we think the body swap thing I th- worked?
2: I think there's a version of this movie you can still have which is pretty much the same. It's just it's not, doesn't have Tina Fey as the voice. And that, to, to clarify, I think Tina Fey is, gr- is really great in this, but I can see a version of this movie which has a black you know, person sort of voicing 22 and having that actually make it a better body comedy because of those, the similarities between Joe and 22. That's one way you could have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, having yeah. as good as she is, having a white person having a white person's voice coming out in your first lead black character in your Pixar movie, it did run me the wrong way a little bit.
0: And having the black person in a cat's body and then sometimes Mm -hmm. that's played for laughs with a cat. We can hear, all we can hear is the cat, but that's, that's undignified. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and also, I totally get that. Did
1: he have to be in, incorporated, as it were, at all? Like, you could have had him almost as a ghost yeah. tailing his body, you know, for example.
0: Yeah, and that's re- that's really interesting, though. Um, but I, you know, I think it's it's taken so long for them to take this first step, and mm. uh, hopefully now there'll be many more many more steps along the way.
2: Well, I guess a lot more sort of, you know, cultural details, right, which I did enjoy. We also mm. you know the fact that we got uh, two sort of black women characters on the screen who are actually on the screen that have some measure of development. There's something, uh, which, uh, we've taken to be, to call the frozen problem, the Mrs frozen problem, rather, in that <laughs> she's off screen and never developed. Um, and at least with this one, you got, uh, L- um, Libba Gardner, um, Joe's, mm-hmm. w- um, mother played by Felicia Richard and Dorothea Williams played by Angela Bassett, ha- having some measure mm. of development. And that's great to mm. see. It's also for me. I, I've had conversations with my mother in terms of, you know, get yourself a proper career, leave this film thing behind. So that was very relatable to me as well. <laughs> to, to clarify... I think, my, I think we've all had that conversation in this room. I mean, we, we've yeah. all had this, that discussion with our mum. Oh, okay. But uh, sadly, out the Listen, and... Here he to is. It, me and my mum are very cool now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I, I'm fed up with your mum telling me what to do all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She was on the phone again just when we started the podcast.
3: <laughs>
0: my <laughs> life has got nothing
3: to do with her. I <laughs> have a word of it, guys. I'm sorry. You shouldn't have given her my number in the first place. Emma, so.
1: Look, I mean, look, we we can't deny anything she's saying. We're we're definitely you know under earning on our potential. It's true. And yeah. and we're scruffily dressed. Let's be honest. We we could, hey, we could so absolutely was, smarten up as well. just dress manager. Oh. I'm just
2: saying. Ah, yeah,
0: that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'm in, a, I'm in a Liverpool hoodie at the moment with a baby, baby Yoda baseball cap. And uh, if I'm honest, yesterday's underpants. So I'm doing really, really well, oh, folks. Oh, no,
1: Chris. We didn't need to know that. What?
0: I just felt I needed to share. Uh, I'm sure, among you were in the middle of making a point and then we derailed you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I think it just about got across. I was just saying how you know, these are the first sort of black women significantly featured yes. in a Pixar mm. film. Yes and that is significant too
0: again not to keep going and in the interviews i did uh but you know kemp did talk about how the two scenes that he spent probably the longest song, were the barbershop scene Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and the scene where Joe reconciles with his mother. And I thought it was really interesting in light of what you were saying as well, Amon, that that is the scene where we see Joe's voice coming out of his body. And they do that lovely little camera move, don't they, where it's 22 speaking as Joe and then the camera moves behind his mother and then it's Joe speaking as Joe saying the things that he wants to say to his mother and finally they understand each other. They're They're on the same Uh, level playing ground there in a way. Uh, Although I can't, and it's an animated movie, I get it, but wouldn't his mother be watching Joe speaking while a cat goes because <laughs> you know, Joe has to speak to 22 before 22 can say the things that Joe wants to say that would have been a very
3: uh, a long and strange film <laughs> it would have been it was well, a very short and strange film so that, that would, have, would have been nice that, I love that sequence though and in a weird that scene is so good with him talking to his mum and that emotional confrontation they have and you really feel it and you re- I mean she's how much screen time has his mum got but she's so good yep. those mm. scenes are it so well and their faces are extraordinary and in a weird way. That film, that scene is almost the emotional high point of the film for me, because that's sort of that film inside the film is the film I wanted. And that yeah. scene with his mum is like it's real. It's real talk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's also the scene which is kind of a turning point for Joe and a kind of a, a move away from this kind of selfishness that he's had yeah. uh, throughout part of the film. And I, I think it's a real opening up of his world. It's real it is a really, really good good scene. I mean, Kemp did a fantastic, fantastic job there. And and also all of the New York scenes are so Oh, brilliantly lit and designed i mean mm-hmm. the, but the light in 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 the trees and the leaves yeah, i mean it made me want to you know put a maple seed or a sycamore seed or whatever it was in my pocket and <laughs> you know keep it forever it's it's gorgeously done
3: That's the thing. But that's the film I wanted, you know. That's sort of the film that was marketed. And Mm. that's what I was most excited about. The Dorothea Williams scenes, are she's bloody brilliant. Yeah, Mm. She looks amazing. That jazz stuff is really, really great. The dynamic and the tension and the heart and the the regret and the loss and the desperation. I love all that stuff. And it's like, where was the rest of it? And his mum is so good. It's a crime that she's not in that film anymore. Mm. Even her two friends... In yes. The front, mm-hmm. in oh, the they're front. so good. Mm-hmm. They're hilarious. His mm-hmm. character design is brilliant. And it's like, I don't know. But then and, and then half the film, you just watching this, this goddamn cat. You know, yeah. there's jokes
2: about a cat. Speaking of the jazz stuff, I just want to say that, and I, 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 I spoke about this a little bit before, but the way this mm. film visualizes stuff, which is so yeah. hard to explain. And the thing which really got me, it's like, happens in the first 10 minutes of the film, but when he's in the zone, yeah. It's just like I I know yeah. I mean it, it happens to me very rarely but I know what being in the zone feels like. But if you ask to Is sort it, break now? it no.
0: <laughs> Describe your surroundings to us now. Is Graham Norton there? Can we get him
2: on? Hello, Graham. Oh gosh. But if if you ask me to sort of break it break it down and you know with words like what does it feel like with words to be in the zone, I would have difficulty. Yeah. But then I look at what the film does and I'm like, yep. That's what it feels like. I get it. Just the fact that they be, they they can do that with the visuals is just endlessly yeah. 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 impressive to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. That that stuff was amazing, and also just the music as well. When when he first sits down with the quartet, and his first couple of notes are off, mm. and then he starts yeah. to sync up, and then he goes and. Yeah. It was, it was so brilliantly played. It made me like jazz, um, despite the commitments. And I, I do feel like the, the jazz music scenes and the way they played as a group and the way you could feel them mm. vibing off each other was brilliantly, brilliantly
2: done. I think, I think it's time for Helen to be watching La La Land now. She, she said she, said she likes <laughs> no, jazz. No, absolutely Here not. <laughs> Look,
1: it's not the music that was the problem in La La Land. It's everything. Else. Anyway, not going to re-litigate La La Land. <laughs> we,
3: shouldn't, we shouldn't be talking about La La Land in this context. But the, um, That's the thing. It's, I, I know that wasn't the point of the ending of the film, but I wanted to see that gig at the end. I mm. wanted to see more of that. Like, I wanted that catharsis. I wanted that resolution. But you don't yeah. get it. But the film,
0: the film's saying it because we do get to see him do that. There's a, there's a line early on in the film where he says, you know, it might be a little bit on the nose, but he says, "I would die a happy man if I could perform with Dorothea Williams." And then the yeah. film is about getting him to a point where he does perform with Dorothea Williams yeah. and realizes that that is not the thing that makes him happy. It's true.
3: I understand it. I'm on. I'm on board with it. I just
0: felt a little underwhelmed. No. Okay. That's 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 fair. But yeah, I I I think that's brilliant. The the, the visual evocation of what it's like to be in the zone. I've never. Been in the zone, but I've been zone adjacent. <laughs> I'm in I'm in zone three right now, but I've never been in Lee zone.
1: I feel like uh, you have, Chris. When, have you, I, when, you write, when you write a feature in like half an hour.
2: Right. Like, How do you do that?
1: Is Teach that a me zone? Your ways. I don't know. Isn't that I don't a zone? know if that's the
2: zone.
0: I wish I could write a feature in half an hour, but let's say a couple of hours. I mean, a couple you, of hours should yeah, do. It. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, you know, we've we've done live shows, right? So you know yeah. sometimes you get into a, a little bit of a groove. Mm. And you know the mm. adrenaline takes over, and
1: sometimes yeah, we, we don't. It's dreadful, but you know.
0: <laughs> Surely the audience, the, the audience will be in the zone just watching you talk. No, the audience are in the room trying desperate to get out, but we've barricaded the exits <laughs> so they can't. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about the film Soul, weren't we? Uh, yeah, I loved all that stuff. I loved the idea of Joe finding his true purpose uh, ultimately, and everything that focuses on Joe is mm. is ph- phenomenal. Um, you know the, the opening ten minutes, the, the in the zone. Even Joe, you know, the idea of going through his his life and the in the yeah. hall of you, in the hall of everything. It's quite it's, Christmas Carol, it's all great. I thought. Yeah, a little bit, mm, a little bit. And I did love that stuff at the end, even when he's even though twenty two is in his body when the I think it is. I think it was Pete Doctor said it was a maple leaf pod right. that comes down. Right, well, you and I, mm. Helen, we, we thought it was a sycamore seed pod, mm. but. <laughs> What do we know? We're not Alan Titchmarsh, so who'd be great as Moonwind? Don't you think?
1: Alan yes. Titchmarsh? Oh, so re- so relaxing, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Maple tree pods do look like sycamore pods. There you yeah, go. Right. That's
0: we'll what go. it is. So, <laughs> <you> Learn something. <laughs> you've something. You've actually learned something from me today. But it was Pete Doctor adjacent. Jason. So uh, what can
1: you yeah. what
3: can
0: you do? They, can, <laughs> they should have cast David Attenborough as Moonwind.
1: <gasps> oh
0: my
3: can
1: God!
2: You Magic is happening in this room.
1: <laughs> I'm in How, the zone. I would genuinely like. I feel like somebody needs to talk to Pixar and get him a voice role
2: pretty yeah. quick.
1: Yeah, um, He up. should be. He should be immortalized in Pixar as well as everything else. I know that Americans don't have this attachment to him that we do because you know they get their stuff revoiced over there. The Muppets. Do they? But, By who? Yeah,
0: Jeff Attenborough, his American cousin.
1: I know Patrick Stewart did a did a recut of uh, Blue Planet. So no way, yeah. another Englishman. Yeah, What's no. The they, point? But, they also, the, the, but like that was the film version where they cut stuff down. But like they've, yeah, they ben re-voiced things. Ben or
0: Get the Fuck Out is what <laughs> I know. Andy I say. Peters, <laughs> Andy <laughs> Peters, <laughs> Gordon the Gopher, voicing <laughs> uh, a herd of wildebeest being savaged okay. by a lion. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs>
1: Okay, so okay. anyway.
0: <laughs> Joe's good. I like Joe. And the stuff Joe at the end, the, 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 the thing that did connect with me emotionally was the moment at the piano at the end. Uh, yeah. And also, frankly, just the end of the movie where he steps out and he and he smiles at the camera and he has a chance to breathe and live life again because that's yeah. part of the, you know, he he does get a second chance. I asked Kemp Powers whether Joe died in an alternate cut of the movie expecting him to go, of course not. It's a kid's movie. Why would we... <laughs> Now they're hammering. Why would we kill off our protagonist? And he went, yes, actually, in one version of the movie, he did die. So did you think he was going to die? Were you surprised he got a second chance? Uh, What's your take on the message of the movie? Excuse me while I go and kill these motherfuckers. You guys talk.
2: (laughs) I was surprised that he got a second chance because I guess with these animated movies, I'm just so conditioned now that, you know, people that like they have Joe die in inverted commas within the first 10 minutes. It's just something that they deal with in these movies. And while I was surprised that we, he got a second chance, I liked that he did because it reaffirmed the message of the movie. Uh, as Chris said, that, that final moment, it, it did land with me, uh, in a big, mm. in a big way. So, so yeah, I liked it, but I was surprised it's, um, the thing is, okay.
3: I don't mean to be a Grinch. I don't mean to be a Grinch. <laughs> but. but the thing is about the message of the movie about appreciating every second and enjoying mm-hmm. life. It's yeah. like, okay, it's, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because you have got to get on with shit. You have got to record a podcast. You got to. You're gonna. You, you know, it's it's a nice it's a nice thing to dwell on. But you know, you know, five minutes later. You're back on the toilet, sc- scrolling through Twitter, and there it is what
1: it is. <laughs> no, nobody was realistically saying you need to feel grateful and appreciative every single second of the day, although that you would probably be extremely well-adjusted and, and, you know, generally chill if you did. But it it is possible to think this a lot. It is possible to keep coming back to this um, and to keep kind of reaffirming a sense of gratitude or peace or, you know taking a moment it is possible to regularly take a moment to enjoy life and i think that's the realistic Take yes, away here. but
3: what's the difference from to that in the beginning of the film? He's happy guy. He kind of, he's a little frustrated in his job, but he enjoys it. He enjoys communicating to those kids. He's just frustrated that he's not quite where he wants to be. But he, you know, he does get in the zone. He does enjoy life. He does appreciate things.
1: Yeah, I think maybe just more so. And I think I think it, I think maybe at the at the beginning he doesn't appreciate it sort of enough. Maybe mm. that he he's so obsessed with what he hasn't got that he isn't appreciating what yeah, he has. Yeah. Yeah. which is the key to trying to be happy i think
2: all all the things he likes are sort of in the beginning of the movie are related to his obsession mm. and at the end of the movie it's all about him enjoying things that have nothing to do with his obsessions has more to do with life uh so that's what that's what i took from that's the, fair. those final minutes
3: i know they say that in the barber don't they the, 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 the barber says to him it's nice to to talk to you about something that's something not other jazz. Than jazz yeah, yeah that's yeah.
1: A
0: good yeah point. Mm. Because you get a sense as well that Joe is so wrapped up in his own bubble. He realises it towards the end when he's back with Moonwind. And he realises that in 22's eyes, he's been saying all this horrible stuff, you know, and he's been very, very selfish and very, very focused on his own goals. But you get a sense of with Des the barber as well. You know, he says, why you never told me this stuff before? And Des says, well, you never asked. Joe is so wrapped up in his own bubble that he doesn't really... Connect with people. I think it's interesting. I never, I didn't ask the 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 creators of the film, but I think it's interesting. For example, there is no love interest in this movie. That he doesn't have a girlfriend or or boyfriend. And there's no. Well,
1: uh, Lisa is mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Lisa's mentioned, never seen, but, but, never but never seen. But never seen. And no, exactly. But not- I think that's.
2: She she's seen once, in like two seconds. Like I think there's a scene in a montage where uh, Joe is at the beach with a woman. I think we're meant to presume that that's Lisa. Um, right.
0: Right. But for example, in the hall of you, it's all about him, all the memories of him on his own. And I would have thought maybe in a movie like this, and again this might be them moving away from the more conventional stuff, the more cliched stuff you would expect. I would have thought that maybe part of his self worth would have been defined by a, a relationship with a significant other, and it, it isn't. I th- I thought it was refreshing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, or or kind of going to the sad and lonely aspect yeah. of his life.
0: Yeah. I talked earlier on about the sort of the the dizzying volume of ideas and the sheer invention of the first 20 minutes, which takes all these incredibly complicated concepts and and presents them in a very, very palatable way. Sidesteps neatly around the idea of God and Satan and Mm. (laughs) heaven and hell, uh, because, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it's a Disney movie, and I guess they don't want to be making pronouncements on that sort of stuff. But it does tackle all these really, really interesting concepts. I mean, the, the idea of the lost souls, for example, is terrifying yeah. on mm. an existential level. Uh, but it's also moving in many, many ways about grand concepts like determinism and the idea that, you know, so what do you make of the movie's approach to that? The idea that you are you, know, you arrive almost, in a way, fully formed.
1: I, th- I think the the idea of the, this these aspects of your personality being um, pre set is is good in a way. I think I think you know it's it's an interesting nature versus nurture debate. But I think there's there's elements of you that are there from day one, and people with mm. new babies will tell you they can see this that and the other in their new babies from very very early on, and that's kind of that's kind of a fun concept. I think it's played rather for laughs at times and, and rather sometimes in a slightly facile is the wrong word but it's a slightly snarky way you know when they're sending all these uh pe- souls to the was it hall of uh self obsession or something <laughs> and i think somebody says something along the lines of do you think we're sending too many people there <laughs> you know <laughs> um and so that some some of that kind of stuff is a little bit uh snarky rather than profound i thought but uh but it's not it's not a bad concept i liked the Terrys and the and the Jerrys, or the Jerrys <laughs> yeah. particularly. The Terry was dreadful, but kind of in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked their uh, that they made no sense, but seemed generally friendly to us. I liked that we couldn't understand their nature, but they meant us no harm. That's kind of a comforting mm. concept.
0: They're the robots at
2: the end of AI.
1: Yeah, there they are. <laughs> yeah, that's fair.
2: I like AI. I'm I'm mixing, like <laughs> I think it's a it's a clever idea, it's a fun idea. It works for the movie. Um and again it's, it's sort of distilling all these heady ideas into mm. simple to understand concepts. But I'm very much of the nurture, not nature, sort of thought process. And mm. the the way this film presents it, it's very definitive in that, you know, once you got that thing, it's on your badge, that's what you're going to become later on in whatever stage of your life and that doesn't quite ring true to me but as i say it works for the movie and for the movie's purposes mm-hmm. i understand why they went to what why they did what they did
1: it does lead into determinism from that point of view like it suggests that if these are your the things that they're giving you that that determines the course of your life to an extent determines the course of your nurture if you will but
0: in joe Joe, by his very nature is almost iconoclastic, isn't it? Because he he rebels against that. It it it's said in the in the movie that he's the first person to basically walk off the slide walk to the great beyond in centuries that no one's ever done it before. There was a gag in the movie at one point about Rasputin being the last person to try it. <laughs> uh, they 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 cut it for I can't remember oh, why but they did cut it, but he's the one who bucks tradition. And so is that part of his? Is that predetermined on his part, or is that is that his free will kicking in? And then you ask why why no one else who's found mm. themselves in a the slidewalk? Because if I suddenly found myself, if I fell down a manhole and found myself and I was just about to record the Review of the Year podcast, and I had so much to do, <laughs> and I had so much to achieve, and so many things to edit, I'd be a bit miffed about it if I found myself in a slidewalk. But everyone is walking, everyone is just kind of so docile. On that slidewalk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone's accepting of their fate except for Joe, who pushes back against it to the point that he pushes through the very fabric of reality itself. Is that predetermined or is that free will coming into play for Joe? What's happening? I there? think
2: that's free will. I think that's part of his character, right? And that because he's so obsessive to the point of where he is in this movie, that, uh, that manic obs- obsession plus the. Monomania. Mm-hmm. Plus the getting the gig of a lifetime. Purpose, everything fulfilled, plus the suddenly dying. I think that cocktail of things is what you know. People, people don't really sort of die in that way. I would presume too often, which is why people don't, more people don't try it. So that's <laughs> what that, that combination of things is what leads Maybe him to. Maybe it's because
1: he's not technically dead yet. Maybe that's what what allows him to step off the hmm. sidewalk, crosswalk, yeah. whatever. What's the thing? walkway escalator yeah Slidewalk. the moving walkway moving walkway <clears throat> moving walkway please be ready to push your trolley over the ramp
0: <laughs> uh i do want to see what happens once you go into the the great beyond which is one of mm-hmm. rem's best songs uh i have to say but uh <laughs> i love the little dots of color as well just as they as people do pop along
2: mm. you mentioned the um the songs and the score for this it just bears repeating it's so good mm. and I love that you know that for the first 10 minutes of the film it's very sort of jazz based and all that jazz improv is great you mentioned that John Pat- John Batiste, um did a fantastic job I think he works with Stephen Colbert and um, that's mm. where we know him from and, and he's really great but once we sort of step into the great beyond I love how ethereal and otherworldly Trent Reznor yeah. and Atticus Ross's yeah. score is cuz it feels so different to what's come before It really do, does feel like you're stepping into a different place and this this synth-based score is just is just great.
1: But also the sign that plays when somebody goes into the great beyond <laughs> oh. sounds like yeah it sounds like a boot up noise and I thought that was interesting as well like mm. it's a beginning not an ending yeah. which was uh slightly spiritual. Mm-hmm.
3: The souls the souls are quite spermy, don't you think?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That was a bit yeah. of a
0: problem for me. What, well, heading towards <laughs> a giant egg? No, they look like sperm. Patriarchy, eh? Yeah, and they're heading towards, they're about to fertilize. Right. You, is is that, that intentional? I don't know. It feels a bit <laughs> like that bit from everything you always wanted to know about sex, but uh, we're afraid yeah. to ask. Yeah, maybe. I, just, I know I spent <laughs> the whole film thinking these are little sperm people. <laughs>
2: See, I'm telling you this movie is
0: not aimed at kids. This movie is aimed this movie is aimed at adults and I I, I honestly think that's why it's ended up it's going to be so many baffled people on Christmas Day when they watch this movie. No,
3: But that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I you know, inside I don't I think it's unfair to compare it to Inside Out because they're just the different things. And you can't it's not good enough to say one is better than the other. But I was I believe an amazing effect from parents watching Inside Out with their kids, that it helped them to understand what, why they were feeling certain ways or what they were going hmm. through or helped to sort of get a, a bit of a grapple Express on themselves. what was going on in their heads. Yeah. And I think that film was sort of all about that. And it, it, it all felt of a piece. And I don't know what, what kids would take away from this. And I know not that's not necessarily the point, but I think it's got a bit of a scattergun approach to all the different ideas that it explores. And I I think it's kind of hard to get a handle on it all.
2: You you bring up the sort of the conversations with kids. That's part of the reason why I am bummed. It's one of the two reasons really why I'm bummed that this is sort of bypassing cinemas entirely and coming straight to Disney Plus. Because part of the cinema experience is that conversation after the film. And I know that with Inside Out, you know, those conversations with the parents in the car with the kids, that must have been quite the thing and i think with this film there's so much food for thought something similar would have happened so it's a shame that you know to obviously at home they'll be able to have i guess some measure of this discussion but that's part of the cinema experience which is a shame that this one is missing i also think that if this film were to have been released in cinemas in normal times it would have had the potential to make black pack the money and the fact that again it's coming straight i really do Um, it's the first Disney animated Pixar movie with a black character in its lead—that is huge, and I really do think it would have made it would have, it would have gotten close to Black Panther money, in my opinion. And so it's a big shame in that regard.
1: I think if that were the case, they would have released it in cinemas. They would have held it. I think if their tracking showed that.
2: How
0: many Pixar movies have made a billion? None. A good question. Right.
1: Toy Story. Toy Story. 3? Toy, Toy Story, Story three. Maybe? I think. Yeah.
0: Of all films.
2: Yeah. Huh.
1: Hey, Toy Story three is a good one.
2: It is a good yes. one. I was just going to add to that, like, it's, it's frustrating that the films which are being put on Disney plus, and I, I get the, you know, circumstances and what have you, but it's Mulan, it's soul, it's Ryan, the last dragon. The, these are big landmark, first of its kind movies for people of mm-hmm. color. And these are the ones which are getting bumped to Disney plus, And that is a bummer on many levels. Yeah, it's true. It's meanwhile, meanwhile, Black Widow, and I you know obviously I don't want them put on Disney Plus because I want to see Black Widow in the cinema, but no, that's a film which is being, you know, made for cinema release. And there uh, are other yeah. sort of films on Disney Slate which could have, e- which are less landmark films than the ones we talked about, which could have easily been put on Disney Plus but haven't been. So again, it's frustration.
3: That also might speak to Kevin Feige's power
2: as well.
0: Yeah. For me, it's a real shame that this movie is not being screened in cinemas, not just because it would have been a real shot in the arm for cinema chains in the UK and the US. It's a beautiful looking film. It's a beautiful looking film. And my first experience of it was in a cinema, Mm -hmm. a lovely cinema in London with a beautiful sound system, you know, playing that that great jazz music and that great, that great, you know, dual prong score. And it looked fantastic. And uh, it's such a, it's such a shame. But maybe yeah. this will—I I don't know—maybe it'll maybe it'll penetra- have more penetration now as a result, and maybe it'll be the the first very important step along the way to to more movies like this to to increase representation in in animation. That's true.
1: Well, I think the 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 good thing I, I take about this year is the fact that while a lot of the movies that we were very hyped about as big steps forward for representation, okay, they've they've ended up going to maybe you know. PVOD or Disney Plus or whatever it is. But they existed in the first place and no one can blame them for underperforming right now because it's a freaking global plant pandemic. And the fact that they were made in at all shows how much Hollywood is moving forward. And the fact that these filmmakers are getting signed up for new films afterwards is a step that Hollywood is coming forward. And those filmmakers are going to keep hiring people of colour, they're going to keep hiring underrepresented groups and moving that forward. I'm thinking of things like Paddy Jenkins obviously signing up for a Star Wars film, you know, so it's not like wonder woman came out underperformed and she's not working again it's it's quite the opposite of that mm. and I hope that the same applies to you know Chloe's out well I think there's no question that it will because look at her record I think I hope the same applies for Nikki Caro I hope the same applies well I think it will for Pete Doctor, but also Kent Powers I think this is mm. an incredible year for him he's obviously also yeah. um, the man behind uh, One Night in Miami and mm-hmm. um, Uh, the script for that. So, you know, I think this is a big, big step up forward and step up for him in terms of visibility and profile. And I don't think that changes uh, because this went to Disney Plus and I hope it doesn't change. So I hope that what we're seeing is not a flash in the pan. It's not a case where all of these films had to perform at the box office or it's all over um, for anyone who isn't a straight white man. I think what we're seeing is a sea change in how Hollywood does business. Mm. And it's just unfortunate that sort of such a banner year for underrepresented directors and underrepresented film stars has coincided with this fucking disease, you know, Mm -hmm. and I hope that will not be Mm. held against them. Mm. I don't believe it will. I really don't.
0: Just one last thing to to sort of crystallize it a little bit more. I just, I feel that I'm, I'm, Opposed on one level, obviously, to this bypassing cinemas, but I also feel this mm. might be ultimately to the movie's benefit because I do feel that this is a film that would have suffered from slightly shonky word of mouth. Yeah, People coming out going, "This is not a kids' film. This is not aimed at kids. Bring your family to see this, and they maybe come out a little bit disappointed, maybe a little confused, maybe you know they didn't connect to the characters." And maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but I also feel like you now there are going to be millions of people around the world watching this movie on Christmas Day, uh, in a in a very very different environment who maybe have a chance to connect with the movie in a way that they wouldn't have done in the cinema, you know, for mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason. So it might ultimately be to the movie's benefit. Uh, but yeah, if I had the choice, put this thing in cinemas, absolutely put this thing in cinemas. Lastly, before we let everyone go, I just want to ask about your favorite scenes.
3: We've been joking a little bit. I mean, I wrote a three-star review, but if if you read it, it's quite positive, you know. <laughs> it's mostly good. It's just I have two problems with it. It's like the, mm. the story strands don't fit together for me, and I'm not emotionally affected by it as, as much as I want it to be. But I still think it's generally a beautiful film with loads and loads and mm. loads of really interesting ideas. It is amazing to look at. It sounds great. I love Joe in it. Um, but my, my favourite scenes, I think I've already basically said, it's just I mean, I love the first Dorothea Williams scene and I love the scene with mm-hmm. him and his mum. I just mm-hmm. think they're really earthy. I think they're really gorgeous and they really hit home for me. And, you know, that's that moment where she says to him after the gig she tells that, she does that metaphor about the, the fish in the, the water and the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Like, that's the message of film for me and that's beautiful. Mm. And she does it there with like one line, better than all the lofty ideas do for me. And I just love all those little down-to-earth scenes. Um,
1: That moment actually reminded me of one of my favourite pieces of writing, and I'm about to sound like a complete literary bro, I (laughs) apologise, but David Foster Wallace's piece, This Is Water. You can get it in book form. You can probably still find it somewhere on the internet just as a transcript of a speech he gave uh, as a Kenyan college commencement speech. But David Foster Wallace, This Is Water, one of the most empathetic, beautiful, encouraging pieces of writing in the world that I'm aware of, and really, really worth a read. And it's kind of framed around somewhat of a similar metaphor. It's really, mm. really lovely. Mm. But yeah, that that scene was was bloody great. I, I'm with you. I think this the first scene with the jazz quartet was superb, absolutely yeah. superb. I love his scene on his own at the piano at the end, kind of realizing yeah. what he has to do and going and doing it. I thought that was gorgeously played yeah and and you know i I enjoyed all the Jerrys. I thought they were fun um, <laughs> they I didn't really feel like I've got a grip on them, but you know I enjoyed the the barmy interpretation of of what angels might look like without <laughs> calling them angels, but yes I, kind
0: of are. I think it's a lovely way of saying that even at the very, very highest level, there are people who don't entirely know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And who are mired in bureaucracy? Yeah. God bless uh. them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like you'd think they would be omnipotent. You'd think that they would know that Joe is an interloper and shouldn't be in this in this world. But they don't really. It takes them a long time to catch on to it. And
1: I feel like the Jerry's maybe do, and Terry is maybe at a lower level, and that's why they succeed in pulling the wool over her, his, or its eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think the yes. Jerry's are kind of more uh, omniscient than we give them credit for. Maybe.
0: Okay mm interesting interesting
2: i I agree with all of the scenes which have just been mentioned really for similar reasons. I would only add that um that scene at the piano at the end where he sort of figures it out as it were I love how 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 non big they play that in terms mm. of not only the moment, but the music. Like, I can see a version of this movie where the music is going crazy, but in reality it's just soft yeah. and gentle and mm. it really, really works yeah. for that moment. I really like that.
1: I mean, there's a lot it gets right. We're, we're criticising, but I think it's criticising from a pr- place of love because we had sky high, again, hopes. And <laughs> it was never going to match that. It never going to match that. I mean, Kurt Russell isn't even in it, so. Oh my um, God. But yeah, we 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 wanted it to to blow us away and i think it's it's only the fact that it gently warmed us maybe that uh, has come as a as a as a step yeah. down but honestly i mean i liked it more in a second viewing i'm looking forward to watching it again and again and seeing how it grows
0: in fact i'm going to finish off on that point because you've mentioned it a couple of times about how this movie kind of warmed us rather than mm. left us Sobbing, you know, desiccated because all the salt has left our bodies, (laughs) you know, husks of people, which is certainly what I was after watching Up every time I watched Up. In fact, uh, occasionally every time I listen to just married life from Up, Mm -hmm. it it brings a tear to the old eye. Uh, Monsters Inc. at the end when you know, oh, they, when Blue leaves them. Oh, oh my god. god! And then, it, yeah, it's just glorious. Inside Out didn't strike me emotionally the first time I watched it, but certainly did second time I watched it. So my question is, why did this one not quite hit emotionally? What was it about these moments? Because clearly, the moment where twenty two as Joe is looking at the maple leaf pod and thinking about the enormity of life and everything. That's meant to be a big emotional moment. When Joe sits down to the piano, that's a big emotional moment. That's meant to have you weeping. Why doesn't it?
3: Because they're just philosophical ideas and they're rendered really beautifully. But that's not the same as bing bong dying and you collapse oh, and your heart <laughs> dies. You know, it's a different thing. And it, th- th- Those moments in Soul are really, really pretty and kind of beautiful, but they don't tug at the heartstrings. Maybe that's the thing is though, maybe that's okay.
2: I'll tell you mm. why for, for me because like all all, the, all those other Pixar films you were talking about, the film, the Pixar film that does that for me, is Coco. Um, mm-hmm. And oh, I think yeah. the reason why is because you see so much of that young kid with his family, both in the real world and in the afterlife. And mm. so when those yeah. themes come to a head in the end of the movie because he spent so much time with that dynamic, it hits you full tilt. And I think the reason why Soul might not do that is because comparatively, the film has more time spent with Joe and 22 rather than Joe and his family yeah. and Joe in the real world. And I think that's why, while yeah. sort of you know, hitting me full tilt with the emotion, it only gently warmed him. Mm.
0: Still, it's nice to be gently warmed this time of year. It's cold outside. So why not? Why not stick on soul and be gently warmed? Uh, Because that is it, I think, unless anyone's anything else to say. I think that's a good note on which to end our Soul Spoiler Special. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Uh, Our next Spoiler Special will be, I think... Let me think on this. I've no idea. but uh, Oh, I know what it is. It's Wonder Woman 1984. That's what it is. We recorded it as well. Uh, As ever, thank you so much for listening to this. If you're listening to this, it means you have subscribed to our supporter special channel and we are very, very grateful for that and your continued support. But uh, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye. From 22 Jump Street, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from Mr G, which doesn't appear to be a soul-related squadcast name. Alex, no. yes, it is. They call is him
3: Mr G. G. The, the kids oh, in the class call that's him Mr very G. Good. That's oh, very clever. G. Thank oh, you. Oh, so it works there for we you. Okay, yeah. Cool. I got it, there Alex.
2: Go. Sympathico.
3: <laughs> I thought it was almost too obvious, but Chris. <laughs> no.
0: Oh,
2: because his name's Gardner.
3: <laughs> they call him Mr G. No, it's not code. They call him Mr G. <laughs> No,
0: I know, but
2: because he's Gene
3: Gardener. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. Anyway. Okay.
0: Okay. If um, I didn't understand that, what chance do you think I have with the film's more higher
1: <laughs> <laughs> film's higher
0: concepts? I might be in trouble with this one. Uh, we need to do another spoiler special where you just explain the movie to me very, very gently. Uh, pretend as pretend if you will that I'm a, a speak to me as you would a small child or a golden retriever, uh, and it is goodbye from. My my word. Okay, I'll try and explain this for you. It's goodbye from I'm a soul, brackets, war, close brackets, man, open brackets, N, close brackets. I'm on, Mormon.
2: Do, do you know the song I'm a soul? I'm a soul. Man. I'm not a fucking idiot. Of course I know the song I'm a
0: soul you just said that
3: you are second, a fucking second. idiot.
0: <laughs> this is true. I am a fucking idiot.
2: Anyway, uh, peace. Yes,
0: no, that was good. It, it's love it. I just love the de- the deployment of brackets.
2: I was thinking whether that would be too obvious, but clearly, you know, maybe it's the right decision. It's not, I'm not, I get the reference. <laughs> yeah, no, I understood the
0: reference. Good. I was just explaining I'm the glad. number of brackets. It's it's an interesting way of doing it. It's a, it's lot, a lot of brackets. brackets. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. Anyway, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> It's goodbye from me, Cats 22. Uh, I am off to record a version of this movie, but with Ben Shepard playing Moonwind. <laughs> uh, actually, no, scratch that. Ben Shepard playing every role. This is the way. Hang on, that's the wrong spoiler special. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye bye.